John Dawson of Patio Daddio Barbecue in Boise, Idaho, and I've got it locked on the 50,000 gigawatt blowtorch of the internet that is Barbecue Central. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you want? <laughs> We have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate fifty four wieners. Oh, listen, Laverne, you shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. Welcome aboard. It's the Barbecue Central Show, the live fire fun and frivolity show. 216-220-0966. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. While I am streaming to YouTube, it is not... I mean, it is not... Andrew... You are not. You are not streaming to YouTube. Andrew. Oh, right. Streaming to you. I'll have to look into that. As I mentioned, I had a whole thing I was going to try and promote. We'll try that next week. With Meathead when he comes on. Still to come on this show, as I had mentioned, staying the cooking guy in about. 12 minutes from now or so, and we thank Malcolm Reed again last hour. So if you're just joining me now or rolling across Facebook and you missed Malcolm, we went from birth to present day as we ended talking about his YouTube fame. Some of you immediately emailing in and busting my balls, asking uh, why would I ask Malcolm how much money he makes and all this. You know, shut up. I didn't specifically say how much money is in the bank i gave some generalized options and i said feel free to not share any of it but you know you dumbasses want to know how much other people make that's human nature people want to know how much other people make whether people decide to tell other people how much money they make i don't know that's up to other people to tell them or not tell them. But I also know there is a sweeping misconception about if you have X number of subscribers, then you're making X amount. You know, everybody isn't David Dobrik or Pootie Pie, where they're making millions of dollars a year and they're in Hollywood and mansions giving away $10,000 checks at, you know, a hundred or 200 person clips. That's not the norm of you. That's the small percentage of you two. So, of course, I'm going to ask some generalized money questions in order to make sure that the expectation of YouTube is set correctly. Sounds like he's making a pretty decent living on YouTube. Good for him. You know, oh, by the way. 
Did you hear him say he's working over 80 hours a week every week? Uh-oh. How good does that sound now? Are you working 80 hours a week? Or are you just jealous because he's a success on YouTube and you're not? He's put in the hard work and you haven't. You can't be... Let me rephrase that. You can be a jealous bitch on somebody else's success. You can be a hater if you want. But be real with yourself. You're not willing to do it. You don't have the talent to do it. You don't have the expertise to do it. So instead of appreciating, you're hater rating. I wish... Rusty Monson would pass out the hate blockers to the rest of everybody. Come on. So that's why I asked. You're welcome. And good for him. I mean, he he's not making uh, Barbecue Central show money, but he's he's getting there. This is this is a revenue and fiscal juggernaut. This show right here, and it is with a bullet. I can tell you that. Don't forget, you can follow me socially right here at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snappy Snaps slash BBQ Central Show, Facebook, and Twitch slash RD Rempe on YouTube, which is definitely not streaming live right now, but who cares? Coming up this Friday on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less, episode 145, October 9th, 2012. Food Myths segment. Remember that one eight years ago? Where some magazine posted 10 food myths or whatever it was, and I went down systematically either agreeing or tearing them apart. By the way, as I had mentioned last week, one of the hidden gems of the best moments, you know, the goal, the overarching goal is to get you excited enough so when the 10 minutes ends that you go back and click the link to hear that full segment interview because there's you know eight or nine minutes of that interview that you're not getting john has cut out the best 10 minutes secondarily remember that that full show link encompasses other guests for instance On the October 9th, 2012 full episode, you find a interview with the pitmaster of Big Papa Smokers, Sterling Ball. How about in the second hour, DivaQ, all the way back eight years ago. So make sure that you click on the full link so you can go back and check out the entire show. There are gems aplenty in there. Also, let me remind you that if you are interested in hearing a certain segment, what have you, you can email John and he'll work it out for you. J-O-N at thebbqcentralshow.com. Hey, this coming Friday, I am going to be a guest on the Barbecue Talks show. It's a live internet show that's also recorded and then put up for podcast if you miss it. This will be Friday, 4.30 Eastern, and these guys are based in England, so it's, you know, uh, 8.30 or 9.30 or whatever it is over there, but if you're around 4.30 Eastern, 
and you can uh, find them. Uh, just go to the YouTube and put BBQ Talks, and their page will come right up. You can search them for their webpage on Google as well, but I'll be chatting with hosts Matt and Ryan, and they have been getting all of the hosts recently. Uh, Jeff Rice was on there a couple weeks ago, and the list goes on. Also, I know you've been waiting for this. I do have a cat piss update. We are now well into one week of no pissing. (laughs) I cannot believe I am giving cat piss updates on this show. The Piscapades of Snickers the Cat. (laughs) Hey, everybody, let's check out the Piscapades. Yeah. I'm really updating you on if my cat is pissing around my house because for more weeks than not recently, he's been pissing all around my house. Just not in the past week plus. From time to time, I get asked about bookings on the show. As in, how can I be on the show? If I can share with you how not Andrew, you are not the <laughs> how not to go about it. This is an exact verbatim email exchange that took place between me and a rando emailer. Rando email comes in last week. And again, this is exactly how it reads. Opening, closings, the body, everything. I was wondering how you could be on the show. I replied back. What do you mean? Rando emailers reply. My husband is really good at barbecuing and cooking, and I was wondering how I could get him on the show. Hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you the best way to get on this show. First of all, never, ever send me an email like that first. Don't do that. There has to be a better request than that. And you know what you want to have happen. You want me to book somebody on the show or you want me to book you on the show. So as someone who hosts a show that you are writing to, me, why not put in a little extra effort? and? Give me a pitch. I happen to have access to a lot of high-profile, very popular people that do really good jobs at interviews. So if you think you can bring something new to the table, uh, A, I'm happy to entertain any and all comers, but we're not starting out with, I'm wondering how you get booked on the show. Meatheads answering the Hall of Fame question for me on uh, what awards has your nominee won and him saying, I have no idea is laughing at that. Come on. Pitch me. Sell me. Hype yourself up. Let's go. You can do it. I know you can do it. Make me want to book you. If you can make me want to book you, If I believe that you will be a good guest, I will 100% book you. And it will be, well, I will do my part to make it a great interview. But 
bring me something better than I'm wondering how you can be on the show. I, I almost just deleted it. But I took the higher road. A good guy. Right, let me do this now. That'll give us a little extra time when Sam pops into the green room. I'll talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills because I'm getting ready to use mine this coming weekend because I have two racks of Allegiance Duroc pork ribs that I can't wait to cook and eat. If you haven't tried those, by the way, you can get them over at the butcher shop. Succulent. A Green Mountain Grills has two lines, a choice line, a prime line, if you want the tech. That means Wi-Fi technology, two internal meat probes, look-in windows on the main cooking chamber, the pellet hopper, more robust chassis build, storage table underneath, front shelf, the list goes on. Prime line is the one for you. Jim, uh, Jim Bowie, Daniel Boone. Jim Bowie's the big one. Daniel Boone's the midsize. Both of those can accommodate the pizza of an insert like I tell you about each and every week. If you want something a little bit more tailgate friendly, because some of you are doing tailgates, Davy Crockett is the one that you want to check out. If you don't have access to that traditional power outlet, you can plug it in right into your car's 12-volt receptacle. Or if you have an extra car battery laying around, the Jim Bowie and the Daniel Boone come with battery clips. Just hook it on the positive and the negative, and away you go. If you want to save a couple extra bucks, you can get the choice line. You don't get the Wi-Fi. You don't get the internal meat probes. That's fine. I had those for years before they came out with the Prime line. They were great. Same size as the other two. doesn't matter. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. And we are back with Sam, the cooking guy, right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Monthly visits from a killer hog, a cooking guy, a man named Meathead, the author of Barbecue Bible, a grill girl, a bristly barbecue journalist, and the male feasance of the barbecue world known as the Embedded Correspondence. Only found right here on the Barbecue Central Show. Hey, welcome back. This portion of the show is brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in two sizes. With a host of accessories, whether you're a beginner or professional, definitely a cooker you want to add to the arsenal, visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you in the mail at the end of last week because I am not a savage. My Pit Barrel Cooker Junior Ash Pan showed up. I purchased it, by the way. And now I don't have to live like a maniac anymore, dumping my coals out of the side like... It uh, had water collecting in it uh, or not. I can just lift out the firebox now. It's got the ash pan underneath it. Everything comes out real nice and neat, and my OCD doesn't have to go through the roof. That's an accessory that I highly recommend you get as a pit barrel owner currently, if you don't have it, or a future pit barrel uh, purchaser if you're going to get one, or at least it's on the radar for this coming holiday. 
Hey, my next guest is a YouTube sensation. He is a Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Famer, and he is ready to give us his origin story here this evening as well. We race to the hotline and welcome back Sam, the cooking guy. Hey, Sam. What are you doing? Are you eating on the show? What the hell is going on? Unbelievable. What are you eating? What is that? It's Troy Pollo, buddy. Hey, it's Tory Pollo flatbread time, everybody. I said that's for it. Anybody that says Chori Pollo on the show is going to get this music from now on. So, you know. Let me tell you something. Yeah. This has fast become a Gray's favorite. Really? People love this. Yeah. Hmm. Now, look, I don't know how it's made in the um other parts of the in other parts of the country yeah all i know is what what i did with it right so i've combined the only part that i've taken because it's only recognizable parts that i know from what you've described i've taken the chicken and the chorizo yes. and that's it the rest i imagined myself i have caramelized red onions on here the chicken's marinated in a uh, lime cilantro cumin spicy kind of thing there's mozzarella we use garlic aioli underneath and it is fabulous hmm. and we did talk about sending one to you and and some other person and i think we can do that i just got to figure out the logistics but i think we can do it all right i'll freeze it it'll come to you frozen you'll bake it and then we'll taste it on the air yeah we'll taste it on the air and um what's the name of that flatbread again you know what is chori pollo that's right. You know what happens when you say Chori Pollo? You get unlimited nacho Everybody's chips. There. You get bottomless margaritas. And okay, so uh, we're we're doing origin stories this evening, and we just had a tremendous opening origin story with Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right, and uh, we will follow it up with you, who is also a first Tuesday of the month regular guest here on the show. Are you ready to deep dive all the way back? Let's go, baby. All right. So where are you originally from in Canada? Because you are not a, um, uh, you know, you're not here, born here in the States, for those that don't know. Well, Vancouver, Canada. It's uh, about two and a quarter hours driving time due north of Seattle. Same weather, same uh, uh, beautiful tree environment, same geography. Same city with lots of water around it. It's a beautiful, the Pacific Northwest is really a really special part of the world if you've never been. And if you've never been, you should go maybe in spring, <laughs> summer. You know, it's nice. There's a, there's a solid six or seven months. And then it gets rainy and wet. And, and, and really, I would rather have snow, I think, than constant rain. Mm. Constant rain is, it just beats you down. It really does. What does a uh, childhood look like for Sam Zion? Uh, we were squarely middle class. We lived in a predominantly uh, Jewish neighborhood. Some would have referred to our neighborhood as the Borscht Belt. We weren't all Jews, but definitely a pretty significant uh, uh, concentration of Jews there. Um yeah, you know, it was a pretty normal uh, 
neighborhood. I remember my parents built their built that first house for sixty thousand dollars, and I said to my dad, sixty thousand dollars? You freaking kidding me? Why didn't you build like three of them? And he goes, why didn't you build three of your first house? And I went, uh, uh, good point. Yeah. Yeah, all it's always relative, isn't it? Are you? Uh, did you have like siblings? Yeah, uh, three brothers. Wow, only boys in the family. Uh, I was the youngest, uh, largely ignored by my two older siblings. Huh. My uh, next closest one was six years older than me, and he got me into a generally into a world of trouble. Hmm. He. Uh, He's no longer with us. He uh, took his own life um, like six years ago. Um, and he went out in a in kind of a messy way, unfortunately. But that was his life. And uh, there was a lot of drugs. Uh, it's an origin story. So we can we can share all this, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of drugs. Uh, he was very self-centered. It was all about him. And... Um, I mean, was there uh, growing up? He, were there events that were tragic to him, or did, did something uh, happen to him you know, that was out I, of the ordinary? What, he, here's what it was. Uh, his name was Ron, and he um, he ended up with a group of friends, Greg, not from our neighborhood because it wouldn't have worked like that, but from I, I don't know. He just ended up with a group of friends that had so much money. They literally could go out at night and, and buy or do anything they wanted. And, and because he didn't come from that, his only way of keeping up with the cash was to sell drugs. And that was a long, slow, downhill slide for him. Wow. Uh, but there was, you know, uh, I smoke a little pot now. That's all I do. I mean, I have a, I mean, a cocktail, but, but uh, in, back in the day, he was... He was the guy that, you know, if you're doing drugs by yourself, you're an addict. If you're doing them with someone, it's a party. So he recruited me often to be his, you know, sort of his uh, wingman for whatever it was. And and honestly, I was kind of willing. I sort, sort of looked up to him and he was, yes, he was older, but he lived a very flash lifestyle. And I was young and stupid and arrogant even into my, you know, beginning 20s. And I was okay with what he did. And, and then I started to understand that that was not cool. And, and a girlfriend helped me separate myself from him. And I didn't mean to jump the story into drama right away. But, but yeah, that, uh, was, you, that was wrong. I mean, at some point, do you, or, or when you realize that that lifestyle is something that maybe you don't want to be that much of a part of anymore, do you try and also talk him out of, continuing down that path or is it something where you see hey he's he's gaining speed down a hill and, and the cliff is pretty close you know i don't think any of us realized how serious it was until he got older um so i'm 61 he was six years older than me so he would have been 60 60 or 61 when he took his life wow. and um wow there was a lot of ugliness the last few years. That's when it that's when it happened and hit really hard. It's all about money. It's all about maintaining lifestyle and big fancy cars and big fancy homes and showing off. And he had this image thing. 
I remember it was my mom's birthday one year, and I was young. I was maybe 14. And my mom's um, electric frying pan had broken. And I said, let's get mom an electric frying pan for her birthday. And he was incensed with the idea that we would give her something so pedestrian as that. He just couldn't get it in his head and berated me endlessly for it. And I finally just said, fine, I'll just do it on my own. And I gave it to her. And I can't tell you how long she talked about the fact that I was so considerate as to give her something that she she wanted and needed. Right. Yeah. So whatever. Uh, you know, you learn you learn by watching it. And, and the, the sad part is, is, you know, my remember my mother one night at dinner saying, you know, I blame myself for the way your brother turned out. And I said, wait a sec, there's four of us. If it's really your fault. We would all be like that. Yeah. And mom, we're not like that. Not even close. So I understand the guilt. Um, but I tried to help her get through that. And I think it took him killing himself before she started to understand it, mm. honestly, which is a crazy thought. But well, well absolutely. And I mean, it, you know, I mean, I, I have little experience with people taking their lives but uh, i mean to be yeah. at, at 60 plus and then deciding that that's the time to do it i mean that seems a little advanced in age usually uh you know i associate that with teenagers yeah. going through bullying stuff or uh not yeah. having any type of self-worth or 20s 30s maybe but uh the occasional 40 year old but 60 seems yeah. i mean you're, you're already getting closer to the end anyway at that point so um, you know, killing yourself I think, is, is, I think is hot. He, yeah, I, I think he found himself in a world of trouble. Mm. And mm. the sort of popular thinking within the family is that if he didn't do that, there's a very good chance somebody else may have. Got it. Oh. He was hanging out with very bad people. Yeah. He, he, he ripped off very bad people. Uh. And so... One uh, one school of thought says he did not do it to himself. Ah. The other school of thought says he did it as a preemptive strike on what might have happened to right. him. Walls are closing it. Oh, shit. Shit. This is taking a dark turn fast. <laughs> I promise the rest of my story will not be nearly this. But here's the only but, point I'm going to add, and then we'll get away from this. Yeah. When it happened. Uh, it's, I didn't never walked around telling people, oh, guess what my brother did. It's a private thing. But people that knew me, knew my family, and might say in the following months, hey, how's your brother Ron? Sure. I would say, oh, well, sadly, this happened. He took his life. And that's when I started hearing a very common theme. Oh, my, my uncle did that. My cousin did that. My, my mother-in-law did that. Uh, suicide is a dirty little secret that yeah. is kept in the basement, swept under the carpet. Right. People don't want to talk about it. They're embarrassed by it. And I don't know why they are. A, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I have nothing to be embarrassed about. What my brother did is what my brother did. But it does need to be talked about more. Yep. And I'm, I'm not on a soapbox, but but it's a very serious thing. And when people say or even intimate that they might be thinking of that. You have to take that shit seriously. You really do. Because a lot of the time, they're literally trying to find a way to ask for help, and they don't know how. 
You know, I think one of the uh, th- there's two commonalities there. So uh, I think as a survivor or somebody that you know that didn't kill themselves, obviously the person that's killing themselves has a whole different set of demons that they're dealing with that we can't understand. Uh, but secondly, you know, it's it's kept quiet because I still think that there's a stigma attached to. Uh, maybe the survivors didn't do enough or didn't recognize something or that that it's shameful act for the person that did it. Uh, But really the overarching point, and it happens to tie into the thing that I had promoted at the top of the show, which is uh, Sean Walchef's most recent podcast episode on digital hospitality has to do with his guest and mental health and how he had attempted suicide four separate times. And uh, it, 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 it was such a uh, inspirational podcast to me to, to listen yeah. to this guy talk about. And so obviously I encourage everybody to, to go over there and listen to it. But that's something that needs to be uh, absolutely talked about. But but those people need to, to know that it's not shameful and that it is okay to talk about because... He, he, yeah, yeah, I mean, my sort of my takeaway from that um, is, you know, you run into somebody that maybe you know, maybe you don't know, and you have some interaction and they walk away and you go, well, what an asshole. The reality is, is you don't know what that person has gone through that day, that week, that month, where they are within their own mind. And a lot of the times people are struggling, they're fighting, they're, it's, it's, it's not working. I think we're all very, and I'm as guilty as anybody in this, I'm very quick to dismiss people and give them a fast label that they're, you know, an idiot or they're an asshole or the dick, whatever it is. But that needs to change. I'm trying to work within myself on those things. Try and understand that maybe somebody's coming from a, a point of view that I don't understand that's causing this to, to come out in them. Sam, the cooking guy, joining us here on the show as we are doing the origin stories here with the regulars. Um, were you in a... eating chori pollo? Oh yes, we are. We are eating chori pollo, and the tortillas are coming out bottomless. Margaritas flowing ever so quickly. Sopapillas on deck. The whole deal. Um, are you from a uh, a uh, parental household that stayed together, or a split family, yeah. or what? Nope. Parents were together forever. Married young. My dad was um, not the most loving man. Was that a sign of the times <laughs> back then, though, or was he just generally standoffish? No. You know, my mom would say, mm, you know, men of his generation. And I didn't buy that. I, I don't think that's true. I mean, there may have been more of them, but he had plenty of friends that took more interest in <laughs> my children, what was going on in my life. My father asked a few cursory questions and then, oh, okay, good. that's all. He used to do this thing. He thought it was funny, but it was, it was a thing. I'd be sitting having breakfast in the morning and he would walk by and he'd whap me on the back of the head hard. And I go, what was that for? He goes, well, nothing right now, but in case you do something later and I'm not around. That was his big joke. Yeah. But my father was a bit of an ass, you know. I don't, I cannot recall my father ever saying, I love you. 
And then it became a joke with me in later years when I moved out of Vancouver and we would talk on the phone and I talked to my mom. She go, you know, you know, the here's your father. And I talked to my dad for a couple minutes and then he go, all right, goodbye. And I go, dad, you go, yeah, I go, love you. And he go, here's your mom. The words literally could not come out of his mouth. But Greg, he came from a family of two boys and two cold parents. His mother was lovely, but not a warm woman. There was no emotion in her at all. I never knew my grandfather. He passed away uh, before I was born. But, but it's, uh, you know, the apple was that expression. The apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. So my father came from a cold family. He was a cold guy. My mother, who is still alive at 96, one of the most loving, wonderful people ever, I got her side, I think. You might disagree, but but I'm much more emotional than any of my other than any of my brothers are, for sure. What kind of a food scene is around you growing up? Is it just traditional stuff where, you know, mom cooks? Uh, I mean, did you have an interest in cooking or anything like that at that point? I, I did not have any interest in cooking. My mother was a fantastic cook. Fantastic. She could make anything. She was a natural cook. No cookbooks. I mean, she had them, but she didn't really use them. She had a, a very wide, uh, deep repertoire of things that she would make. She was fantastic. My mother grilled, not anymore, but grilled better than most men of her day. Hmm. We had, the house I grew up in, had an indoor barbecue, if you can imagine. An indoor barbecue. Yep. It wasn't gas. It was in the kitchen. It was charcoal? It was, I don't know. It was charcoal. Oh, dear. So it was really just like a, <laughs> think about it. It was a chimney in the kitchen. And I don't know why people don't do this today. It was a basically a chimney in the kitchen. But instead of, you know, where you would put the logs in or the charcoal or briquettes or whatever, being at, gr at like ground level, like a regular chimney, fireplace, right? So, sorry, it was a fireplace in the kitchen. Yeah. But instead of being on the ground or raised up by a you know, five or six inch hearth, it was at, at like 30 inches high at countertop. Yeah. So a, 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 a fireplace that was a grill that had a big you know, a rack thing in it and then a chimney above. Huh. And she would grill steaks and roasts and things in there. I mean, it was unbelievable. Me, no interest, none, none whatsoever until I got older. But we came from, I was saying to somebody the other day, Jews, Chinese, and the Mexican world are all about food. If I have to go to a funeral, I want it to be one of those three because I know I'm guaranteed of amazing food when you go back to the person's home after. If I go to a regular, everyday, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant funeral, I know I'm going back to the house for five minutes, saying goodbye, and then going for burgers. Right. Because it's going to be like shit finger sandwiches or <laughs> some crappy casserole thing. We all, us, the ethnic groups I just mentioned, are not just 
do, do not just prom, uh, uh, figure food prominently in our world, but it's a gathering spot. You know, it's not a coincidence that Chinese restaurants use the round table with that lazy Susan in the middle. It's about as social as you can get. Everybody facing each other. There's nobody at the end of a table talking to some weird uncle. Everybody's facing in. The food's in. You're reaching in. Everybody's participating. That, to me, is something that, that has always been important and warmed my heart. And our family was like that. My grandmother would make the most amazing food. She made Cornish pasties. Do you know what those are? No. Now, see, you're, you're too white to know what this is. <laughs> a Cornish pasty is, is a, a dough. It's like a pastry filled with potatoes and meat. And she would lovingly make it for days. And then this incredible gravy. She'd bring over tons of them. And we just couldn't stop eating. My uncle, my dad's brother, lived in Montreal. And if you know anything about Montreal, you know they're known for their food, specifically like pastrami and corned beef and smoked meat. And he would fly from Montreal to Vancouver. Somehow his flight always came in at, you know, 7, 8 o'clock at night. Somebody would pick him up, bring him to the house, direct from the airport. He'd unload this bag that he would carry, big wrapped up with this fresh pastrami. It was almost still warm. I mean, it wasn't, but it was. And rye bread and, and corn rye and, and marble, then you would just make these big fat sandwiches. It was this an incredible food world at my home. Hmm. You can't help but be colored by that. No, no doubt. Uh, I mean, it had to have been uh, an inspiration very early that uh, you know ends up budding later. When you uh, so you get you get through uh, middle school and elementary school, high school, all that stuff. You go to college. I went to a two-year college. I took marketing and sales. And technically, as I think back on it, I don't think I actually graduated <laughs> because I'm missing an accounting credit. Mr. Clough's accounting, whatever number class it was, just stymied me. I say to people now, I joke, I go, you know, I don't measure because I'm not good with numbers. And that's true. <laughs> Plus cooking, unlike baking. You know, if you need like a tablespoon of something and you put a half a tablespoon in or a tablespoon and a half, it doesn't make a difference. If you're cooking a brisket, to use words in your world, if the recipe says use, you know, a half a cup of sugar, sorry, a half a cup of salt, a half a cup of pepper to put over a giant brisket, and you use three. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. No. It you doesn't matter. Expression? It doesn't matter. Close enough is good enough. Cooking ingredients is like hand grenades. Close enough is good enough. Yes. But not baking. No. That's why I don't bake. I wasn't good in accounting. I wasn't good in math. Mister Clough hated me, even though I was the president of the student body I, <laughs> at this two-year college I went to. Uh, I, I didn't uh, finally pack, uh, you know, get out of there alive, and um, I just don't me I don't measure. It doesn't work. When you get out of that, uh, whether you graduated or not, uh -huh. do you then start to make tracks for the States, or are you still in Canada for a little while? I'm still in Canada. I didn't know what to do when I got out of there. 
In fact, I didn't know what to do when I, so I get out of high school. I went to a boarding school for my high school years, private school on Vancouver Island, which is just off the coast of British Columbia. It's as far west in, uh, in uh, British Columbia as you can get in Canada, really, sort of. I didn't know what to do. I just really followed the path of one of my brothers. He went to this uh, two-year college for sales and marketing. I didn't know what to do. I went to the college for sales and marketing. Uh, he got into advertising, was very successful in advertising, and I went into advertising in Toronto where he was not with him, but I went to Toronto because like, if you wanted to be in movies in, in the States, you'd probably go to LA back then many years ago in the late seventies. If you wanted to 1980, if you wanted to be in advertising in Canada, you went to Toronto. So I, I went to Toronto. Hmm. Uh, he's, he eventually moved to Los Angeles and one of his clients was a place called penguins, frozen yogurt. And he called up one day and said, hey, these guys are making a ton of money. Want to get into the frozen yogurt business? And he said, yes. So him, me, Kelly, who had now been married to, uh, we bought the franchise rights to Penguin's Frozen Yogurt with my dad's money, uh, us as me and Kelly's operators uh, in, in uh, Phoenix. <laughs> we moved to Phoenix. <laughs> we opened a store. And for a year and a half, we sweated it out. Phoenix is hot as it comes, man. It really is. And before we went, people would say, oh, it's a dry heat. <laughs> and now that I've lived there, I now say, yes, it's a dry heat, but so is a fire. Yeah. It's hot as hot as that. Yeah. It's miserable. So some guy that had the franchise rights to that place for Tucson desperately wanted Phoenix made us an offer. We said, yes, well, my dad made enough money to buy a car out of it. But other than that, nobody really made any money. <laughs> and then, uh, I didn't know what to do. So I did what many people do when they don't know what to do. <laughs> they go into real estate. Yes. And I went into real estate and the day that my real estate license, after all the classes and whatever and testing, came to my address in Tempe, Arizona, which is by Scottsdale. The day it came in the mail was the day we decided to move to San Diego because we had family here. Hmm. So I took my real estate license, which now was no good, right. threw it away, packed up the, packed up the, <laughs> you know, like the Beverly Hillbillies and we moved to California. And I got my California real estate license, which by the way, back in like 1980 or whatever, California real estate license was way more difficult than Arizona. Mm. And I don't know if they're just cowboys there, if things are run loosey goosey, but <laughs> it was way harder here. Yeah. So I got my real estate license. Then I started selling real estate and uh, hated every second of it. Let me back it up here just for a second. Cause we're missing yeah. an important piece, uh, which is how you meet Kelly and what that love story entails. So it is a love story because we've been married 35 years now. Yeah. Um, I've already said I'm Jewish and Jewish mothers are probably like Chinese mothers and, and Mexican mothers. They want you to marry within your religion. 
And my mother tried to set me up a few times with no success. In fact, the one right before Kelly, I go on a blonde date, I'm knocking on the door, the door opens it up, the mother's there. Sammy, I'm Zion, I know your mother, whatever. And the, she calls the girl and the girl comes and the second she showed up, I was like, this is not gonna work. And it wasn't that she wasn't attractive, she was. She was just dripping with this attitude that I didn't want. Yeah. So that didn't work out. I'm in my late teens. Uh, no, I'm in my very early 20s. I'm in my apartment in Vancouver. The phone rings. It's my mother. And I'm on the couch with a girl beside me. Like this, yeah. right? We're watching TV. And I go, hello? It's my mom. She goes, you have to come to Palm Springs. My parents had a, had a, like a place in Palm Springs. Sam. Which where people go when they vacation from the West Coast. You right? have to come to East Palm Coast Springs. Is Sam, you have to come to Palm Springs. Okay, let's go. It's, a, it's, exactly, it's exactly right. right. And I think right away, I'm like, oh my God, my father's had a heart attack. What's the matter? She goes, I want you to meet a girl. And I take the phone and I jam it against the side of my head because I don't want this right. girl of course. To, hear, to hear what's coming out of the earpiece. Of course. I go, oh, we can't talk now. I'll talk about it later. And I hang up the phone. So a couple weeks later, my mother's back in town. I'm over at their house for dinner. And she starts on about this girl and you got to meet her. And one of my, my oldest brother was there. And he looks at me and he goes, look, you don't have to listen to mom. I mean, forget what she says, but you should trust me. And not only do I know the family, mm. but one of Kelly's sisters is my best friend's uh, wife. Huh. So when I tell you, you should date this girl, <laughs> you should date this girl. So what do I do? I date this girl. I call her. We make a plan. She's not interested in a Jewish guy at all. Even though she's Jewish, she's like, you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, you feel like you're forced into the ship by your parents and you don't want to be involved with it, right? Oh, it's human nature, right? I mean, if, said, if somebody wants you to do it, you want to go the opposite direction. Especially if it's a parent. You're breaking so I, my I, I heart, called. Sam. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> You're killing me. So uh, we, we went out, and there was a little fire that struck. 35 years later, boom. This, I actually couldn't get it off even if I wanted to. <laughs> it's so misshapen. And I, it's an oval now. It won't come off my finger, but that's fine. But that's fine. Uh, so you, you do the, uh, the frozen ice cream or yogurt or whatever place and uh and you, you get over into san diego or do you talk about having kids or are you in the process of having kids at that point when does that happen we leave arizona pregnant oh well kelly's pregnant yeah and uh here's a little here's a little unknown uh, fact max that you know that yeah. shoots our you know all our youtube stuff and edits it so beautifully <laughs> max was conceived in the frozen yogurt store after hours <laughs> on the stainless steel prep table. <laughs> I don't need to know that. Oh my God, Sam, your mother's ears I are hope, burning. I hope, 
<laughs> I hope they're still not using that prep table. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We good We've for you. We cleaned it since then. It's fine. Yeah. Good for you. It's fine. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what things did you want to change from a parenting aspect when you and Kelly started having kids? I mean, you obviously recall your upbringing and I would imagine specifically stuff that your dad did or did not do that you were probably thinking, well, when I'm a dad, these are some things that I'm going to be doing differently. I don't know what Kelly's upbringing was like, but, uh, you know, I'm sure there's stuff that you guys talk about that you're like, Hey, we want to make sure yeah. that we're making these changes. You know what I think? I think um, being present, and it feels like an overused term these days, but I feel like like being present is important. I know you are an important part of your daughter's lives. You show up and you're there. I barely remember my father being in my life. Like, I didn't learn about sex from my father. There was no conversation. Even if somebody had suggested it to him, I think he just would have said, I'm not doing it. I learned sex from Bill Grad. I remember where I was. We were sitting on an adventure playground. I was probably 15, maybe almost 16. And somehow my friend Bill Grad decided to bring up sex. And... I don't need to go into the details of what he started with, but my mind just went <laughs> like this. Yeah. What? What will happen? I can do what to myself and what will happen? <laughs> it was the crazy, honestly, it was the, it was the craziest thing. I couldn't wait to get home. <laughs> my life changed forever. <laughs> but it's right. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. So that's that's. I just want. I I wish that he had been there for more. I wish that he had sat me down one day and said, um, "How's it going? What? Uh, tell me what is in your head. What are you thinking? What would you like to do? Where do you want to go? Do you have questions? And if you don't, then fuck it. Let's just watch Seinfeld together or whatever." You know, that kind of stuff. There was none of that. None of that. So, and I don't know, honestly, Greg, that it was a conscious thing in my head. It was more of just a, you know, like you get in the water and you, you, you do the dog paddle so you don't sink. It was kind of that. I had kids and I just naturally gravitated to being there, being part of their lives. I wanted to. You know, so to digress for a second, I remember a moment in Palm Springs. Max was maybe two. And we were in the, 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 the den of this house. And I'm standing talking to my dad about something. And Max toddles over. And he reaches up as far as he can. And he starts going to touch the knobs of my father's very inexpensive uh, stereo system. <laughs> My father would never spend money on stuff like yep. that. He was pretty cheap. And he goes, don't do that. Not even like nice. Just don't do that to a two-year-old or whatever he was. Right. What a two-year-old doesn't know. And he continues to turn knobs and shit like that. And he goes, don't do that. I can see he's getting heat. I'm going, sweetheart, you know, you don't want to do that. Max did it once more. My father 
all of a sudden just like turned red and he went and he raised his arm up and i don't know if it was a closed fist it was maybe an open one but the second that it got somewhere around his shoulder our eyes my father and my eyes locked and i stared at him like what the f are you doing yeah and he looked at me and he put his arm down and he left the room and i was my blood was boiling i was i was incensed and i picked up max and i took him into the other room and i handed him to kelly i said i have to go out and she goes what's the matter i didn't even talk and i just left for like an hour he didn't say anything i didn't say anything till i came back the next day i'm talking about it with my mom and she goes you know it's 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 men of his age and his era like we were talking about earlier and i said but one of his friends came over the day before that the day that this happened brought some little toys for max he'd never met max and was on the ground on the carpet playing cars with my son something my father had never done and i said to my mom but but your friend lou was here on the ground playing toys with max the exact same age as dad and she had nothing to say because she as what she was merely defending him sure which she did a lot right. my father was not abusive he didn't hit but that moment got him so crazy that max was going to do something to his piece of shit stereo system look at me i'm getting mad right now i'm getting emotional again yeah. so how many years max is what 31 or two 30 years ago it's still getting me inside so that was the thing I don't know that it was a conscious thing, but I knew I just wanted to be part of my children's lives. And I think we've got a, uh, it's still a father child relationship. We're not buddies, but we're very close. We're very close. What are the greatest successes and failures of yours as a parent? You know, I think, when i can look at my kids you can look at your daughters and say what's your wife's name becky. becky you stand back and you go becky we got great kids we did a nice job of course you're going to be a little biased but it's a nice thing but the moment that that becomes super real is when it comes from somebody else when somebody else says you know, I spent the weekend with one of your kids. I have to tell you, boy, done an amazing job. They are really a good person. And isn't that what it's all about? I mean, you think about what is, what is our job as a parent? It's to teach, encourage, school, uh, motivate. We're trying to take a little jelly-like blob when they're born and turn them into people that are going to be great citizens, good friends, good parents, productive people on this planet that are going to hopefully make a difference as they go through their lives. And when somebody else recognizes that, those are the greatest little moments I can, I can get. I feel as built into a group hug here, man. Yeah, no doubt. And if it wasn't COVID, I would <laughs> hug you. Um, you had mentioned that the real estate wasn't your bag 
you hated every second of it. Uh, you, 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 you put in the work to do a harder licensure uh, exam here in, in San Diego. So, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, at what point do you start to tip in, boy, this job really sucks and, and what else is there? Look, uh, it started off sucking for me. I would go into the office. I would spend an hour or two. Were you, and then I would were go you good to a, at it? Uh, were you good at it? I was personable. I was not really good with the details. Like I wasn't good in Mr. Clough's accounting class. Uh, <laughs> but here, here, look, I, I would go into the office for a couple hours, and then I would go to this this area of San Diego called Seaport Village, and I would sit there on a bench and smoke. I smoked in those days. Cigarettes. And I would watch cigarettes, yeah. Oh, okay. Not certainly not for years, but and I would watch guys go by talking. And I would say to myself, they look happy. I wonder what they do for a living. And I imagined I could I could just hear a job and then be Aurora. Can I have one more of these? <laughs> Sorry. I would I would I would say <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say the CP oh sorry, word. Sorry, I just, uh, and it's not tequila, by the way. No, fine, it's mezcal, but yes, a, but, a smoky uh, tequila. Uh, smoky. And I would say, I, I wonder what they do. And somehow I imagine that I would just hear this title of a job or a job description or something, and go, "Wow, that sounds like it's for me." It doesn't matter what you do at all the only thing that matters is that you like it i don't care if you are a million dollar home selling realtor if you're a doctor if you drive a school bus if you wait tables if you're a janitor i know a guy a friend of mine is a custodian at an elementary school here in san diego you have never seen more pride in work mm. in your life. He posts videos on Instagram of a gymnasium floor after he's used the waxer on it or whatever they, you know, yep. whatever they use. And he is so proud of his shit. He loves what he does. His is a perfect life for him. That's all that matters. Because the reality is, is it doesn't matter what you do. At some point, we're all going to go. And on your last day on this planet, what are you going to remember? You're not going to remember the money in the bank, the boats, the cars, the houses. It's the shit that's inside. It's your friendships. It's the meaningful moments, thank you, that you have with people that will ha you'll hang on to. I, I spoke to a class of 11th grade kids here in San Diego. They were a group, they were an entire class made up of kids who were the first people in their families to be tracking for college. And they had me come tell my, my origin story. And at the end, I'm, I'm saying, all right, let's, let's answer some questions. What do you want to know? And, and this one kid engages me and we're talking, I go, all right, what do you want to do when you get older? And he goes, I don't care. I just want to make a lot of money. <laughs> and I said, yeah. let me tell you why that's flawed thinking. 
Because if that's what you're chasing, you're probably not going to make it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, what you need to do is you need to focus on the one thing that makes you happy. Because if it makes you happy, you're going to do it better than anybody else. You take two guys that are sweeping floors. One loves it. One hates it. The guy that loves it is going to do it really well, mm -hmm. really well, way better. Absolutely outshine the guy that hates it. The guy that hates it is like, F this, F that. I hate what I'm doing. I'm only doing it for a paycheck. The other guy is going, yes, I'm getting a paycheck, but I'm going to make sure this is the best floor that's ever been swept. When it comes time for somebody to be elevated, promoted, risen up to another level, become a manager, whatever, who do you think they're going to take? They're not taking the guy that hates what he's doing because his work sucks. They're taking the guy that's doing an amazing job. And that guy's going to continue to do an amazing job and end up owning that uh, sweeping company, that whatever it is. You got to like it because think about it. It's 24 hours in a day in rough, very rough numbers. We, we sleep eight. We recreate eight-ish. And we work eight. A third of our lives is spent working. I don't know about you, Mr. Rempe, but I don't want to spend a third of my life doing something I'm miserable about. Yeah. Miserable about. And I know there's a lot of people that are like that. And people feel trapped and it's hard for them to get out and make changes. And then sometimes you find yourself at our advancing years, not that we're the same, I'm much older than you, but and then it's hard to make changes. You've got kids and mortgages and obligations and payments and shit, and you just can't go, well, I've always wanted to be an actor. I'm going to leave, you know, my accounting world <laughs> that I get a paycheck and, and, uh, and benefits and all that stuff to try my hand at acting. But you know what? After I spoke, I always end up telling this story in groups. And after one particular time, a, a woman came up to me. She was the teacher, and she goes, I'm thinking of quitting. Your story's motivated me. Mm. I want to become an actor. And I said, okay, number one, I don't want to get blamed if this goes wrong. So <laughs> take my name out of it. But, but let me say this. Are you any good? She goes, I think I am. I go, well, what if you're not? What if you give up your career teaching and now suddenly you're in the acting world and you suck? Yeah. Or worse, you just hate it. Then what? then you've given up something real. So here's my suggestion. Don't give up teaching. Start acting, maybe community theater. Learn to walk before you run. Do community theater on weekends. Because maybe after a couple of months you go, wow, you know what? I actually don't like acting, but I love being around it and I'm good with costumes or I'm good with makeup or lights or I want to be in that part of it. And maybe, just maybe, it doesn't become a whole career for you but it gives you enough life and energy and enthusiasm on the weekends or nights or whenever you do it that you keep your day job as a teacher, motivating children, literally the most important job in the world are teachers that absolutely get overlooked and underpaid and I feel so sorry for them, but they're amazing people. But maybe this job gives you the energy and the, 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 the fun that you're lacking during the week, but now you carry yourself through the week so you've got all this fun stuff that you really want to do on weekends. What about that for a start? Hmm.
she was like, oh my God, I never thought of that. Because don't, I mean, people hear me go, I went from, you know, um, and we fit, we, we missed my biotech part of my life. I went from being a biotech director of operations, quit my job to try and start a travel show on TV. And people look at that and they go, well, you did it. And I go, well, here's the fucking fluke. Don't think because I did it, everybody can do it. I wasn't chasing but, uh, a television career. I was chasing happiness. I hated what I did. My home life was great. I slept great. That eight hours fine. My social life, great. That eight hours was fine. But my eight hours of work life, after real estate, I worked at a biotech company for eight years. That sucked. And as I drove to work every day and I pulled into the parking lot, I'd say the same thing. Not this fucking place again. Oh. And that's a terrible way to go to work. And I know there's people, there, I know there's people, little gnat here. I know there's people listening right now that are saying, shit, that's me. And I'm saying, all right, it doesn't have to be you. But jumping off a cliff into the unknown like I did is not a, a good thing to do. Yeah. Figure it out. But try to put something in your life that will make you smile. That's what we all need. So when you're talking about doing the biotech stuff and you're hating it, uh, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong here on the timetable, but uh, is it you and your brother go, uh, he, he goes to the... Uh, Japan for a business trip and you tag along and, and you uh, try to put together yeah. some kind of a Brother TV Law. show and it's going to be, hey, uh, I'm going to yep. show you what it's like to be an American here in, in Japan and this is what you do and uh, you, you do the trip and uh, you're bringing it back to pitch or something like this and then 9-11 uh, uh, yeah, happens. It's, 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 I, I can do this. It's yep. uh, it's uh, uh it's the year of my 40th birthday. I'm at uh, Soup Plantation. Remember Soup Plantation? No. Uh, it was a, it was a uh, a salad and meal buffet chain <laughs> here in Southern California. That I think the buffet chains are gone now. Oh, I hate to say it. Oh, I love wow. nothing makes me happier than it than an old school Chinese buffet, <laughs> right? Orange <laughs> chicken, the fish, the fried rice, the crab legs, all that stuff. <laughs> crab legs, love it. But I think that business is gone. So we're sitting there one day, and he goes, I'm going to uh, Tokyo for business in uh, a month and a half. And I go, ah, I've always wanted to go. Kelly goes, why don't you go for your birthday? So I tagged along. And and it's it's a year later that I'm sitting in my office at a biotech company going, oh, man, I hate my life. What could I do? What could I do? Because I used to – I li would literally sit at home, Greg, on a Sunday morning with the San Diego Union Tribune newspaper – Help wanted general section. I was so miserable at the biotech company. I would run my fingers down the help wanted general ads, looking for inspiration, oh. hoping the hand of God would go, hey, buddy, that one. Look at that one. I'd get all charged up. I'd get excited when I saw. And it didn't matter what the title was going to be. Right. It could have been, it could have been hotel night operator. It could have been, uh, I mean, I don't know. Anything uh, was better. Data processing, anything that I found inspiration from was going to be okay. And I can tell you something, that doesn't work. I don't know how God works, 
but he did not work for me that way. And so I would sit in my office and lament and moan about how unhappy I was. And one day I said, you know what? I, I'm trying to fit myself into some pre-existing job. Like I'm looking for a title that's going to turn me on. That's a mistake. What if somebody came in my office right now and said, here's the deal. You can go do anything you want. No regard for income, what people thought, status, any of that bullshit. What's the one thing you want to do? And instantly, I answered my own question by saying, I want to go back to Tokyo. After that trip with my brother-in-law, hmm. I had a great time. I loved the food. I loved the people. I loved the culture. I loved how different it was. The whole thing was great. And so I, that day, that moment in my office in Carlsbad, California, I set about trying to find out how I could get, back my, get myself back to Tokyo. And I'm a pretty practical guy. So what's the easiest thing? I could become a pilot or a flight attendant. But I don't like to fly that much. And I don't as a I didn't like the idea of being a flight attendant having to be nice to people for like fourteen hours oh, yeah. at a stretch. Because people are shitty to flight attendants. Like snapping, Miss, I want more of this. I shouldn't have to more napkins. There's shitheads. So I go, all right, rule that out. How about I could go teach English as a second language? And look, I speak the Queen's English. I'm Canadian. I believe my command of the English language is generally better than uh, many people. I could do that. But the idea of coming home and saying to Kelly, all right, here's the plan. You, me, the three kids, <laughs> we're moving to Tokyo. We're going to live in 14 square feet and all, all <laughs> sleep standing up, like leaning against one another yeah. on the wall. I knew that wasn't going anywhere. Right. And somehow an idea for a travel show loosely based on what I had done when I was there a couple of years before with my brother-in-law popped in my head. And it was, you know, the, the, there's an expression, a drowning man will grab at a sword. You think about it. You throw a guy in the water. He starts sucking in gul gulps of water. He knows he's going to die. Yeah. And you hand him a long, sharp saber. He'll grab at it. Well, I was looking for anything to grab onto. And a TV show about traveling in exotic places hit me. And I went, I'm going to do it. So I did. I quit my biotech job. I pulled together this little crew that had done a very uh, mundane um, a document, uh, not even documentary, but three-minute video on the biotech company. <laughs> I said, come on, let's go. We're going to go to Tokyo and Hong Kong shoot some demo footage and try and put something together. Nobody got paid. No, sorry. Nobody was going to get paid, but they were going to get a free trip to Tokyo and Hong Kong. I'd managed to convince a hotel association in uh, Japan to underwrite that part of the trip. Huh. We were getting flights from the Hong Kong tourist board and I knew nothing, but I could spin a beautiful tale of bullshit with my Canadian and grasp of the English language and late night emails. And I would write the Hong Kong tourist board and say, hey, we're doing this. Would you like to help fund part of the trip? And they go, well, what's your experience? And what's the crew done? And what are your credits? And all that stuff. And I would write back like emails that were like 40 pages long, <laughs> not answering any of their questions, but saying things. Look, you, know, you need to understand, this is not about uh, 
the lifestyles of the rich and famous in Tokyo and Hong Kong. This is encouraging regular people who might right. not think it was accessible to understand it is accessible. That was my angle. And they loved it. And so they said yes. We said yes. The crew, little two other people in the crew said yes. And we were a month away from going to shoot demo footage and 9-11 happened. Yeah. And I always say that that day changed thousands of people's lives much more significantly than it changed my life. I didn't personally lose anyone or know anyone affected by 9-11, but it still changed my world because now nobody was buying a travel show, especially if a guy that A, had never been on TV and B, had never traveled hardly anywhere. I'd been to Tokyo. That was it. That was it. And so I had to rethink it. So I go back to that stupid couch that I'm using my finger on the, you know, the help wanted general ads on Sundays. And now I'm sitting there watching TV as Kelly's going to work in the week following 9-11. And she stops by the couch and she goes, what are you going to do? Quit the biotech job. No income, no benefits, no nothing. And I go, she goes, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know, but I'm going to find something. And within a week of that day of 9-11, I'm flipping channels. And what do I come across? A local channel here in San Diego with a local hotel chef in the worst cooking segment I've ever seen in my life. The chef was awful. Could easily kick my ass in the kitchen. But he's he's a cook. He's a chef. His world is cooking. His world is not being charismatic on television. His job is to make food look good that people watching, they go, oh, that looks good. Helen, we're going there. We're going to have that cheesecake or whatever the hell it was. It was butternut squash. Helen, we're going for that butternut squash soup. I saw the chef make it. It looks delicious. His job is to put asses in seats when they're on TV. And I watched that same segment, and I thought, why doesn't somebody make that shit look easy? Forget putting asses in seats. How about just letting people look and go, wow, that looks delicious and easy, and I bet I could make that. Kelly came home that day, and I said, I've got it. She's got what? I go, I know what I'm going to do. She goes, what? Not travel, sweetheart. Cooking. And she goes, wait a second. That's a good idea. Just one thing. I go, what? She goes, you can't cook. The only thing I did in those days, maybe pancakes for the kids, maybe some eggs and all guys can make eggs. Uh, but I did it and I said, look, I'm going to do such easy stuff that I will be my own weakest link. Anybody watching will be able to make it. And I did. I called the crew. I go, we're not going to Tokyo. We're staying here in my kitchen. Let's shoot a video. So you shoot, you've seen that video, right? You shoot the yes, um, but so you're shooting the video in an effort to Which have is terrible. It's, uh, I mean, the, the, I shoot a video. I shoot this video, knowing I'm going to send it out to a couple local stations and yeah. see if anybody goes. Oh my God, we should put you on television. Just like a demo. I was so stupid. I was so naive. Yes, a demo. Yes. I said I send it to three local stations. Two, two. I didn't know anybody. I found just faces on the internet of the general managers of these two stations. 
and one station calls me up. The assistant to the general manager, lovely woman named Elizabeth, she was British. Hello, Mr. Zion, we've got your tape. Lovely. Love what you do. Smash it's it. just not right for us at this time. Smash it. Brilliant. Not right at this time. Yeah. And the other station uh, called me like three weeks later. And the guy himself, not his assistant, said, I got your tape. Uh, I watched it. It's very different. You're very different. So different that I took it out to the newsroom and asked a handful of other people to watch it. And the interesting thing is, they all thought you were very funny. They all laughed at the exact same parts that I did and thought you were quirky. <laughs> We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> so in May of 2002, I started on what then was the local Fox affiliate, doing a two-minute cooking, taped, recorded, edited cooking segment twice a week, Mondays and Fridays. They would come to the house. We'd shoot three or four. They'd go back. They'd edit them down to 90 seconds. And then on a Monday or a Friday, I'd be sitting there at the anchor desk, and they go, hey, Sam's here. What are you making this week? And I'd go, oh, blah, 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 kind of pizza. they go, great, let's watch. <laughs> and then the tape would roll for 90 seconds. When it ended, I would have heated up or made the food in their kitchen across the parking lot, and there it is, and the anchors would take a bite, and everybody was happy. <laughs> and I did that for a whole year. I didn't make one cent. They didn't offer me any money, and I didn't ask for any money because I knew that I needed to learn. Sure. I knew I knew. The only thing I knew was that I knew nothing. And then after a year, they started paying me. I made $16,000 for my second year in cooking, which meant that I made, I averaged $8,000 a year for my first two years. Yeah. This is not all that glamorous, <laughs> but but doable because yeah. I had a house with some equity, and in those days, you could just pull equity out of your house. Nobody gave a shit. Yeah. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day <laughs> when I was in real estate, there was a there was a loan called stated income. Yeah. Like now, you have to yeah. provide everything. Yeah. Stated income meant the form said how much do you make a year, and you'd put in. $850,000. Nobody would question it. Right. They'd give you a loan based on that income. It was ridiculous. No wonder this country yes, went. Yes, of course. <laughs> tits, up, tits up for a while. Yeah. Um, so you 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 get paid. You're doing local television. I, get, start, I start getting paid local television. How does it grow? Uh, it grows because the, the San Diego county community channel comes to me and says would you like to do a half hour version oh. these are only 90 seconds right and i always felt stifled by 90 seconds <laughs> the editors would say to me you know we're taking this much tape and and yes we're cramming it down and it's okay but we're having to leave off very entertaining parts of you that aren't exactly cooking because there's no time so now I go from making a pizza in 90 seconds to now a half hour show that basically has four, six minute segments in it. Now there's room for everybody in me to breathe. Yeah. 
So those two, those 90-second segments won two Emmys. There's a category called feature segment non-news that yeah. they fit in. Uh, now the, now this half-hour show, I moved to that station. Now that wins two more Emmys. Wow. I'm like, wow. It's a great business. <laughs> and by the way, Emmys have nothing to do with how the food tastes. <laughs> right. I mean, it's production, they're right? Only, they're only about, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. How you come across sure. that. So, so that's, but that's cool. And, um, and, uh, we're going along and then all of a sudden a publisher comes along and says, would you like to write a cookbook? I go, yes, I would. <laughs> My first cookbook comes out 2007, uh, like, uh, like August or something, 2007, three months after it comes out, he comes back, he goes, we want to buy your next two cookbooks right now. So I had a literary agent, Ben, we made a deal. Uh, I've since would like to have shot my literary agent, but I got rid of him because he was a piece of crap. Tried to rip me off. It doesn't matter. Just be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, wrote two more cookbooks. Discovery Health came along and said, we'd like you to do a series for us. I mean, it's yeah, there's a lot more to me getting that, but, but uh discovery health and they go well there's not anything particularly healthy about your food <laughs> what would your angle be and i go here'd be my angle here's a great pizza there's cheese and bacon and prosciutto who knows whatever else on it here's the thing don't eat the whole fucking thing have a slice or two <laughs> it's called moderation so they were they were okay with that <laughs> so i had a series on discovery health for a year and uh does that, does that pay and um yo paid great oh okay. paid great yeah. i they i'm trying to think about what so, it was. Uh, let me let me try and get a me, let me get a, 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 yeah. a time frame of of economics here so you're getting let's say that you know the eight thousand dollars over those first two years at the local fox affiliate uh your your wife is working yeah full-time i guess to to like keep you guys afloat as you're figuring out your way downstream here 100 percent uh when then you go and, and you go on the public uh television they pay you as well for the half hour show yeah yeah i mean not very much right but public television but something certainly doubling or doubling or tripling yeah. whatever i, I got yeah. and then you get into uh, into discovery and and then the books. I mean, so books back in 2007, was that still an industry where you yeah. could make a decent uh, advance or whatever the hell they call it? Yeah. 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 So the advance that I got for my first book, not nearly as good as it was for the second and third book because I was nothing. Yeah, there. Well, now you had a track record behind you. Advance on me. No, I had a track record, right? right. I had big audiences at book signings and, and and you know they can see what's selling and and so that's good um my literary agent in the beginning said here's the deal unless you're like uh, a president come out of the coming out of the oval office yeah you're not going to get rich off a cookbook but you'll be surprised at the doors it opens for you my first cookbook got me on the today show wouldn't have happened without that book hmm. and i don't know why but it wouldn't have happened without that book. 
But that was, I've been on the Today Show a dozen times now. Wow. Including that one infamous time with Kathy Lee Gifford, and we've talked about that. We don't need to talk about that again. But. What do you mean? Discovery Health came along. What are we making? Kathy's giving me the okay, Sam. So we're making a tuna. We're making a tuna. Tuna's the second thing we have in our house. Can I talk? (laughs) I watch the show every day. Everybody has issues with a lot of chatter back here. Pay attention one minute. That's look. Let me tell you something. That is the best, like thirty seconds of television I have ever heard. Uh, and and much like your champion, uh, and that by the way earned you a guest segment on the Howard Stern show, which we're big fans of back in the day. Absolutely. But uh, and I agree, like those Still. two, yeah. uh, those two kooks are always chirping Yentas. over the top. Yeah, yentering Yent. it up. Yentas. And you yeah. had Yentas. to you had to bark them down. And by the way, lest you missed it. The second you told them to shut up for one minute, everybody else behind the cameras was they, laughing. They thought it was great. Yes. Finally, Look, somebody producer, told uh, these girls uh, to shut up. A producer came up to me after. The segment ends. The cameras go away. Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda go back to dressing rooms or to their next uh, you know, part Drinking. of the Today Show building to do their next story, whatever. And... A producer comes up. They're taking my microphone off. And the guy does this. <laughs> He's taking the thing off and he goes, I got to tell you something. Goes, yeah, what? And he goes, <laughs> we've been dying for somebody to do that. <laughs> Just like that. It was crazy. Do you think that... It was crazy, he, but, he, but it was... Even, there, even though he's giving you kudos. Like, uh, I've also been yeah. in a business setting where a rep has told the sales manager in so many words to go F off and he's a unmerciful <laughs> slave driver. Well, guess what? In 24 hours, that guy finds himself conveniently out of a job. Did you think that telling those two to shut the F up might have earned you a never return back to, to the day show trip? Yeah, no. I did. I, um, you know, my first time, that was my second time. Wow. My first time I was making um, chicken enchiladas. And if, if you ever made my chicken enchiladas, and by the way, for everybody that's listening, you should go to the website, look up chicken enchiladas. They're white chicken, there's cream, and there's and there's uh, lots of Monterey Jack cheese. And and um, and as I'm making it with, with uh, Hodocopy and Natalie Morales, mm. not... Uh, Kathy Lee, she wasn't there the first. Yes, mm. do that again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> as I'm making it and I'm putting in all the cheese and the cream, Hoda Coffee starts going, uh oh. I go, oh, what? And she goes, there's a lot of fat and cheese and cream in this. I go, but here's what's interesting if the recipe says serve six, it should. Don't eat the whole freaking thing yourself. <laughs> the second the word freaking left my mouth, this, now this is my first time, the second freaking left my mouth, I thought, uh oh, I'm done. But instantaneously, I heard the crew laughing behind the behind the cameras. And again, a producer came up to me after and said, "When you said frickin'," and I thought that she was going to say, "We decided this was your last time here." Yeah. She goes, "When you said frickin', the control room went crazy, <laughs> like in a good way." Yeah. And then, and then, so I leave the Today Show. I'm there with Kelly. We're walking down whatever street it was i'm away from there no more than seven eight minutes and i get a text saying will you come back uh in a couple weeks Hmm. 
on this date. And so that was, then I go back in a couple of weeks and it's that moment that I'm now calm and comfortable that I say, please stop talking. And, and they did. <laughs> and, and that was my second time on the Today Show. My last time with Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda Copy. Yeah. But I went back, uh, you know, 10 other times, wow. Al Roker and uh, everybody else. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think? Man, this Troy Poyo is so good. Great. Okay. Hey, burritos for everybody. Endless margaritas coming from the bar, ladies and gentlemen, and half off guacamole, or as I say, guacamole. <laughs> guacamole. Look, keep that music going. Keep the yes, music going. It's right. more like this. Wait, bring the music up a bit. All right. Gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Fantasia. <laughs> Get your fake dollar bills out, lady. And remember, free dances in the champagne room until 10. Wow. Wait. Unbelievable. Uh, th- I mean, does the Not Today Show know. catapult you into a different stratosphere because look i mean uh, uh books uh, are great and local television regional television is great but today's show is national yeah it's very big i mean it's a millions of eyeballs on you at once yeah and interviews and it really it does some very good things but that's what that uh, literary agent was saying hmm. a book is not at this point going to get you rich but it is going to open a lot of doors for you and it really did and so just going through this there's the local stuff for two minutes then it becomes a half hour show then it becomes a discovery health series only for a year and then that ended because oprah bought discovery health because she grew up as a little girl and said one day with god as my witness i want to have my own channel (laughs) and so she built own the Oprah Winfrey Network. Yep. She literally bought the Discovery Health number on everybody's TV dial. So she took over Discovery Health and had access to all the shows that were there and incorrectly assumed that my show was just for men and it would never play on her shit. Hmm. So uh, I didn't I didn't go there and any and it didn't matter cuz any of the ones that were existing Discovery Health shows that that Oprah took were only there for a few months, and then she ditched everything and started all her own stuff. I'm not bitter much. <laughs> no, but. not at all. Um, so then, uh, and then YouTube starts. We start doing YouTube. Yeah, I was going to say, like uh, eight, I mean, nine, at, at, at some point, the the computer uh, comes around, and uh, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's around. You know, obviously, well established in two thousand seven. Uh, internet is uh, proliferating at breakneck speed. Uh, were you ever against looking at the computer as an option at some point? Like, you know, TV is always no. going to be the best place to be. Never against it, but but because of my age, and let's just be honest, I'm older. I was never against it, but I never thought of doing it. It was Max that came and said, again, my oldest child, that was slated for law school, had passed the, the exam, was accepted, and came to us and said, I don't think I want to go to law school 
And don't forget, this is the guy that said, the only thing that matters in your life is that you do what you love. So it's very difficult for me to look at my child who passionately says, I don't think I want to do this and go, fuck it. You have to do this. We paid all that money, all your schooling. You've been accepted. You're going to go and then you'll figure it out. So I couldn't do that because it wasn't in us. And I said, so what do you think? And he goes, I don't know yet, but I want to figure it out. So we gave him a little room and one day he came in and he said, I think you should be doing some YouTube stuff. And I think I want to be part of it. And I was like, all right, let's see what we can do. Hmm. I honestly, I have Max to thank for, for pushing this direction. Is that, I mean, is that a, what year is that roughly? Uh, maybe nine years ago, maybe. All right. So 2011. I'm not good. Yeah, somewhere around there. Now, is that his idea of let's do something on YouTube? Is that uh, what I had bumped into you on known as the Sam Livecast? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the Sam Livecast. So he comes to you and says, hey, you're cooking, you're established, you have personality, you have a a fan base of, you know, some reach. I want to. I want to put together yeah. this live internet show. We'll call it the Sam Livecast. And for the folks that don't know, I mean, it was basically part talk show uh, up front and then cooking show in the yeah. back would run an hour or so, depending on, you know, what you were up to and what you were into mm-hmm. on any specific more episode. More or less. Yeah. yeah. So Even more or less. Um, and, and that is and my first introduction. That's my first introduction to you, by the way. I don't, I, And I don't even remember... Who told me, but somebody said something along the lines of, this guy's like you in the first part of the show, but then he cooks on the backside of the show. You should check it out because I think you would like it. Yeah. And so I just watched the first episode, and it was uh, immediately hook, line, and sinker. Uh, For many reasons, Uh, entertaining content. Uh, It was live. You had a great uh, studio set up, and you had a fucking incredible kitchen uh, which uh, is still like a dream kitchen to me um, but you had Great like the, the that talk show studio at the table and then you would yeah, it, you felt, camera- it felt like uh, that and it, it was like a real but but again tv show on the internet it, it was yes it was missing one thing <laughs> people watching nobody watched <laughs> we did that so look if i say we've been on nine years yeah you go back to uh 2011 between 2011 and 2018 it's 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 seven years yeah we amassed 30,000 subscribers 30,000 in seven years but we weren't even trying and and not that not that we um not that we were arrogant about it. We didn't know. We thought we were doing well. And mm-hmm. then one day Max comes in. He goes, I don't know if this is working. Maybe we should think about this. And we talked. And, and it was very difficult for me to let go of that format because there's a woman. I'm trying to remember her name. Addie Corn. Then she might have been 80. That lived in Brooklyn or something. And she was a rabid fan. And I, 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 I killed me to think that we were going to change <laughs> formats on an 80-year-old woman that was a fan. 
And we changed formats and then everything changed. Yeah. We went from we went from 30,000 subscribers in May of 2018 to a million, a million in August of 2019. Wow. So in slightly more than a year, it took us what, seven years to get 30,000 subscribers, then slightly more than a year to gain a million. Mm. And then August of 2019 to August 2020, we gained another million. And now we're at, at two million and a quarter something. Yeah. And the rest, as they say, is history. And I'm not saying that because my computer battery just went to 14% and it went from black to red. I'm just saying that's what happened. When you are having the conversation of going away from the live to going yeah. pre-recorded, yeah. do you then immediately start yeah. game planning? How many produced pieces do we want to put out a week? Was it we originally like, hey, we want to do this as a goal, but then you realize we, we need to back it up or, or back it down or ramp it up, depending on where I, the, the I, idea was originally? I think, I, I, I think we all felt like because we were – almost starting anew we needed to come out of the gate and be really consistent mm -hmm. more than less let's put more content out to try and get more people watching if you do one video a month and you do lasagna you got this many people looking at lasagna if you do uh 12 videos a month and everything is different, you've now opened up the base of who will be looking and potentially finding your stuff. It's that simple. It really, at that point, is when I should have listened to Mr. Clough's accounting class. This is where the numbers come in, but it kind of is a number game. We, you cast one net for fish with one episode a, a month. We were casting 12 nets a month mm. and getting that many more fish. Right. And so... It really did change shit for us. It's fun when you break things down to basic, simple, silly little analogies like that. It really helps you understand it. And we're against up against a lot of people that way bigger channels than us, have way more subscribers and views and stuff that, that do sometimes less videos than us, and, and that's okay. We found our little world, and right now it seems to be Seems to be working okay. Two questions before I let you go and before the battery dies. Do you mm -hmm. guys, do you and, and uh, you got 12%, you're good. 12%. Do you and Max talk regularly about where you would like to see the show in a year from now or three years from now? No, hmm. we don't. But we're understanding that we have to. We've just started that notion in our head. Somebody, uh, somebody has helped us understand that that planning is important. Things have come out so quick, so fast. We've all just been busy sort of just keeping up. And, and some things slipped through the cracks that we're trying not to let happen. We're trying to get a better handle on, on how to be on how to be mindful of what's next because honestly we really haven't done that planning yet and it's very important and we know we need a roadmap right now we don't really know where we're going we just know it's going well so that part is a serious component 
that we haven't sat down yet, but it's right there, right in the outside of our brains waiting to come in. Uh, last question, and I'm not asking this the normal way. I'm, I'm going to ask this in a different way. Um, generally this speaking, I yeah. think that there is a, I don't know if wild misconception is uh, the right, but I'm going to say wild misconception by folks who aren't YouTube savvy or don't know how YouTube operates, that if you get to a certain threshold of subscribers, that the, yeah. the money floodgates just open up and it's millions of dollars. You're buying Teslas. You can get mansions in Hollywood. You know, David Dobrik and Pootie Pie and uh, the whoever else these uh, kids my uh, daughters watch on YouTube. Yeah. That, it's, it, that so, it's amazing. Yeah. So at two so, million so subscribers, have- at two million subscribers, I mean, are you from from your whatever you're making? Is it like more money than yeah. you thought you would be making on YouTube at that subscribership? But here's the thing: I didn't ever really know what you could make on YouTube. Right? No, I had no idea. <laughs> didn't understand it. And the popular misconception is: wow, two million plus subscribers, uh, you should be making a lot of money. Yeah. It's not about subscribers. In the least, it's about views and length of viewership. And length of viewership doesn't mean that guy's been a viewer for three years. Right. It means he watches five, six, 10, 12 minutes. Right. That's what's important. And so we at 2 million plus subscribers have more views than some channels with many more subscribers than us. Not all, but sometimes many. And then it's, 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 it's this algorithm that they figure out of more views is good. They want that. But then length of view, how long is somebody watching? You know, you do these integrations and the integrations are, um, if your video is longer than five minutes, um, the the mention first has to be in the first five minutes and then the last five and then this long in the middle, that kind of stuff. Look, these guys know what they're doing. It's a very savvy world out there. These are big companies that spend a lot of money for advertising and they want it done right, but they also want it with people that or with channels that have a dedicated viewership. They want people that are going to watch for more than just 30 seconds or two minutes. Right. And I won't give away our viewership uh, uh, length of a typical uh, watch. I'll tell you tomorrow. But, <laughs> um, but our numbers are very good. Sure. We manage to keep people... And I know not everybody likes us. My style is very different. I go, look, do you remember the, um, I can't even think of it. There's a, there's a style comment on YouTube, on, sorry, on Instagram. It's always from the top. You don't ever see anybody. Like a bowl goes in, cheese and, and ground beef goes in, it makes, it comes out. Right. Then a pan goes in, it gets hot, that stuff goes yes. in. I don't remember who those, uh, I can't remember who does those. 
if that's what you want, if you want merely the the instructions, the how-to, then that's what you should watch. You should stay the F away from me because that's not what I do. But if you want to know an alternative to that cheese or a way you could shortcut this with more conversation and maybe some fun. Night, Aurora. Uh, I'm, your, I'm your guy. Look, there are people that love us and then absolutely people that hate us. But my grandmother's expression, and she died 25 years ago. That's, she didn't have a Jewish accent, but I'm going to give her one because it's funnier. <laughs> Look, that's why there's different flavors of ice cream. Not everyone likes chocolate, so maybe you like vanilla. That's your thing. Not everybody's going to like me, and I fully understand that. What I don't understand is when somebody watches uh, <laughs> comments below how much they hate my effing guts and then quotes 10 videos where I did stupid shit. I'm like, well, if you hate me so much, why are you watching? Yeah. It's the old uh, Howard Stern yeah. WNBC days of you know fans of Howard listened to him for 45 minutes yeah. and his most ardent... Uh, hateful uh, yeah. people listen to him for three hours. Right. Just one of those deals. It's just one of those deals, yeah. Uh, Look, if I leave any message tonight, let yes. me just leave this. Yes. There's a book out there called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow. Here's what I say. I think they should, uh, they should either rewrite the book or somebody else should write a new one or they should amend the title to this. Do what you love. Maybe the money will follow. And regardless of whether it does or not, you'll be really damn happy. And that's all that matters. Right. Yep. Sam, the cooking guy can be found right here on this show. The first Tuesday of every month. You can also find him over at thecookingguy.com and his various social media channels. Obviously, if you're not subscribed at YouTube, go ahead and do that. But most of us are already. What? And what? Somebody listening might not be subscribed? How is that possible? <laughs> just in case somebody's trolling across the show for the very first time and uh, they, they just found out what the internet was and YouTube, and that you can find cooking instruction on there. This is where you want to go. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and this has been an extremely first uh, successful first effort of origin stories with my first Tuesday regulars, Malcolm Reed, and our number one. And this is Sam, the cooking guy. Of yours. It's right a good here. idea, man. man. Here's what I, I, I like learning. Learning from people is very important. Yes. People that have done things before. Uh, you, you get the good, you get the bad, but, but, but you get all of it. And that's uh, this kind of stuff I find is really useful for people. And I know there's people watching that are unsure. It's a weird time. What do we do? You, you got to work on shit you love, folks. That's what you have to do, really. Sam, always appreciate the time. Thanks and for And again, thanks for taking the extended time and, uh, and the look all the way inside there. Uh, the conversation is great. And uh, as I had mentioned with Malcolm, you know, the uh, you know 10 plus years that we have also now known each other and uh, the relationship that we have come to have, you know, I, I really appreciate it uh, both here on the show and then uh, perhaps... Uh, tenfold uh, outside of the show is spectacular and uh, you are appreciated and valued one day we'll meet someday someday we will looking forward to that
All we'll right, cook, Sam. We'll cook together on your 75 different <laughs> <All back here. laughs> We'll do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sam. All right. There That's he is. Sam the Cooking Guy right there. And that is his origin story. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed that. And we are obviously well long, uh, 13 minutes away from the top of the hour. So I have to do a little housekeeping here. How do I want to do this? Leave that. Let me tell you about Southside Market and Barbecue. Established in 1882, Southside, the oldest barbecue joint in Texas. They've been owned and operated by the same family for three generations. Famous for the original beef sausage, coarse ground, and a natural pork casing. And they have authentic Central Texas barbecue meats as well. All meats, including the prime briskets, are smoked low and slow for many real hours over real post oak wood. Shipping customers can choose to order now, ship later, include a custom gift note, and mail to multiple addresses without additional charges. All meats processed in the on-site USDA-inspected facility. On-site meat markets for fresh and smoked products. Custom orders are welcome. Three restaurants to eat in. Elgin, Texas, since 1882. Bastrop, since 2014. There's also one in Austin. 10% off your entire order when you get it online at southsidemarket.com by using promo code BBQCENTRAL, B-B-Q-C-E-N-T-R-A-L, B-B-Q-C-E-N-T-R-A-L. 10% off your entire online order at southsidemarket.com. We thank them for their sponsorship of the show. And we're back to wrap it up right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. Wow, we. Some of you guys are still hanging in there, which I appreciate. Sylvie's in, John Solberg, Jeff Walker, Alonzo is also watching. Thanks for hanging in. Glad you enjoyed the interview there. Long, but again, origin story. And when you've had the past that the guests have had, they're going to run. Luckily, it's my show and I can run as long as I want. It's the post-production that I'm not looking for. This portion is brought to you by Smithfield.com. It's grilling season still. Hold on a second. You just wait. Championship hit like Chris Lilly, Darren Worth, Ernest Cervantes, and Childs Cridland. Mouthwatering flavor, no artificial ingredients. Smithfield fresh pork, quite simply, some of the finest pork money can buy. It is the trusted choice of world champion pitmasters for use at competitions and at home. Also, by the Smoke Sheet, which is a free weekly newsletter that keeps you in the know on everything happening in the barbecue world. You can sign up for it at bbqnewsletter.com. It's a great all-in-one resource covering the live fire industry. Now, I'm done. I want to thank Malcolm Reed for sharing his origin story in the first hour out of bbqright.com's website, killerhogs.com, as well to get his barbecue products. 
In the second hour, Sam the Cooking Guy, Sam Zion, sharing his origin story. It is 11.51 Eastern, so he almost did two hours right there. But a unique look inside somebody that is on the show regularly. There you go. That was the idea. A look back, see how they got to where they are today. Big show planned for you next week. Meathead will give his origin story in the first hour. Second hour is locked and loaded as well with some great guests. Feel free to jump in at me over the course of the week. Greg at the BBQ Central Show on the email at BBQ Central Show on all the other Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook if you want to get at me that way. Try to get that YouTube stream worked out for next week. We'll go from there. September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Till next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.